Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Heavenly Father, may our thoughts, our hearts, be directed to you right now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Be with us as we listen in. Speak to us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Good morning. Today we are looking at a passage from Exodus 19. Thank you, Bev, for reading that. Uh, We're talking about God and grace and salvation and identity and obedience and mission and purpose and things like that because, well, they're very important. And also because there's a lot of things that can twist us up in our understanding of God. How we understand grace and identity, what it means to be obedient. There's a lot of things that like to get inside our head and hearts and twist things up. We're not immune to the forces of idolatry and works-based religion, loneliness, having an identity crisis. I don't know, does it seem like... Every other day, you're trying to figure out who you are again. Rebellion, indifference, apathy, and, and so on. We're, we're not immune to those, those forces. And so, uh, to, to put it simply, today's message is to strengthen our faith. Uh, we need to know who God is. We need to know what God has done, what God is doing, what God will do. We, we need to know who we are, and we need to know what we're supposed to be doing. So we are in our series called Moses. I believe we have like one, maybe two more messages in our our series, and then we'll we'll move on uh, to other things. But as we kind of start to land the plane here in our Moses series, um, we we find Moses and the people in Exodus chapter 19. It's been three months since the people left Egypt. Okay, three months they've been in the wilderness. And they're in the desert, and they're by this mountain called Sinai. And it's also called Mount Horeb in in the Bible. And they they are camping out at the base of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai, if you recall, is is where God called Moses. This is where the scene of the burning bush took place. Moses, the shepherd, this ex-prince of Egypt, a fugitive, well, that's... Mount Sinai, this is where God has called him to liberate the people of God. So yes, Mount Sinai, it's the location of the burning bush, the Ten Commandments, and then a little bit later on in the narrative, this is the mountain where Elijah hears the still, small voice of God. And so Moses alone climbs the mountain. He he breaks camp, climbs the mountain alone, and God calls out to Moses. And God tells Moses, this is, this is what I want you to say to people. And what happens in our text today is going to ha- help us answer these four basic questions. It's a refresher for a lot of us here. These are so important to grasp. So important to grasp, to answer these four basic questions. Who are we saved by? Who do we become? What do we do? And then how do we do it? 
So let's get started. Number one here. Who are we saved by? A crucial starting point for us is that we believe that we are saved by God and God alone. And so know it to be true that God is the one who does all of the saving. This is a gift of God's grace. Grace is, is that favor towards us that we don't deserve. In Exodus 19, looking at verses 4 and 5, God wants to be super clear that he is the one who does all of the saving. God says, you have seen what I did in Egypt, to Egypt. You've seen it. You're aware of it. All right? You have seen my grace. You did not do this on your own. This isn't a mystery. Okay? It's not a big surprise. You didn't just wake up here on the mountain. Okay? You've been watching me work. You've seen my grace on display. You are eyewitnesses of it. You've seen my power. My acts of decreation, throwing Egypt back into chaos. You've seen it. You've seen what I have done, God says. It's not by your own merit. It's not by your own strength. They saw what God did personally for them. And God describes it like this. God carried them on eagles' wings. Poetic imagery here. Trying to illuminate our... our uh, our idea, our understanding of how God saves, it evokes a sensory experience for us. The other day, I was walking the dog, and there was a hawk or a fountain, a fountain, falcon. I'm not, I'm not savvy on southeastern Pennsylvania birds, hawk or fa- falcon. I don't know what kind of bird it was. I, I know it wasn't an eagle, but it was up there, and it was just floating, and and. I remember thinking, like, I was thinking of this passage. I'm like, that's a pretty smooth ride up there. Like, it was hardly flapping its wings. It was just up there, cruising. I'm like, that is amazing. That is amazing. To paraphrase the late preacher J. Vernon McGee, he says, this imagery tells us the way Israel achieved freedom. From death to life, from helplessness to the heart of God. It was not by fearless fighting and brilliant military maneuvering that would have startled the nations of the world. Actually, it was not by their own efforts at all. It was by what God did for them. He carried them on eagles' wings. Imagine riding on the back of an eagle, completely sailing over all the bumps and bruises of the world. God graciously saved the people. And then verse 4 continues, and he brought them to himself. God says, I, I, I brought you to me. I brought you to me. Again, to repeat, God wants them to know that he is the one who does the saving. It's him. It's his grace. And he, he says to his worshipers, you guys, you gals, You've experienced this. I didn't just bring you here to the mountain. I brought you to me. He's he's speaking relational language here. On this side of the cross. We understand. We are depraved. Twisted. We're in a falling condition. And there's just no way we can recover by ourselves. Paul 
talks about this a lot in his letter to the Romans, Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned, we all miss the mark, and we fall short of God's glory. However, God lovingly makes salvation, redemption, healing possible to every human through the mediation of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 says that God puts this on display, God proves this, God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we're sinners... Christ died for us. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everyone is graciously provided freedom of will to accept or reject this grace. And if you do accept this grace, there's, there's more good news. There's no condemnation. There's no baggage hanging over your head. That's Romans 8.1. So we kind of wrap all of this up. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. By grace, we are saved through faith. It's nothing that we do. Jesus says, My grace is enough. Okay, now what? Well, you know, God didn't just stop at the exodus. He has more good news for them. You know, the gospel doesn't just stop at salvation. There's more good news. The, the whole uh, Jesus is Lord part, that's a pretty big deal. When Jesus becomes king over your, your life, you're going to change. Because you, you are going to listen to the king. You're going to start to pay attention to how the king is ruling. How the king speaks, how the king moves, who the king hang, hangs out with, the king's mission. You, you are going to start to come in alignment with the king. The Bible has a word for this. It's, it's change, it's repentance, it's transformation. Kind of getting to the point in the New Testament, uh, when we come into the good news, there's a lot of good news identity statements for us. And we become who God says we are. In Exodus, God has a dream for the people. And God invites them to be his treasured possession. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation. A treasured possession is uh, the, typically the translation of the Hebrew word segula. I'm going to teach you a Hebrew word here. Segula. Treasured possession. It's like the personal royal treasure of a king. Kings are typically rich. Royalty is typically rich, right? But a segula? Now we're talking. That's something special. Okay? This is special treasure. Probably doesn't actually compare to what a real segula is. But some of us have, you know, I imagine we have dinner plates at home. Even if it's paper plates, that's all right. We eat off of something, but some of us, uh, we we have special dinner plates. They're special. Some of these plates, they get put in the cabinets. We even buy like little sands, and we sand these plates up. We put them on display. A sabula isn't something for the common shelf. A sabula is valuable. It belongs in a special place. And so this sabula is an invitation God's like, hey, come, 
Let's have a close, loving relationship. We're in covenant with one another, right? So like, let's actually walk this covenant out. God says in verse 5, Although the whole earth is mine, all nations and people belong to me. You will be like the crown jewel. And so for us in Christ, we're kind of bouncing between them. You know, Old Testament story and, and the gospel here. In Christ, number two, who do we become? We're also invited to step in and believe the good news of, of who God says we are. In Christ, we're accepted. We're children of God. We're chosen. We're free. We're forgiven. We're brand new. We're citizens of heaven. We're heirs. We're filled with the Spirit. We are blessed. We are treasured by the King of Kings. And we could go on. The list of identity statements is so good. It's so good. We are treasured by the King of Kings. And, and when we know who we are, we can become who we're supposed to be. And there's more. This, this identity as a Sabula, it comes with this big vision. As a Sabula, going back to Israel, they will be for God a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. A simple way to think about it. Priests serve God. Israel is to serve God. Priests are mediators, the go-between, the middlemen. They are teachers of God's ways. They also do sacrifices. They, they restore fellowship with God. So in short, they bring people to God and God to the people. And so this identity of being God's treasured possession, Zebulun, it comes with a big priestly mission, a vision. As a society in the ancient Near East, they will show the world what God is like. And they are to be set apart. That's what holy means. They are to be holy. They are to look different. They're going to sound different. They're going to eat different. They're going to worship different. They are set apart. Absolutely, it will look countercultural. So for us, our priestly holy identity as Christians also comes with a big vision and mission too. We are built into something. We are built for something. And so question number three, in light of who we are becoming, in light of who God says we are, if we believe it to be true that what God says about us is reality, then, then what do we do about it? Our vocation is to bring people to God and God to the people. And we do this both inside and outside of the church. We declare the praises. We declare the good works and grace of Jesus. In Christ, you have access to God. And we don't do animal sacrifices anymore. Thank you, God. But we have spiritual acts of, of sacrifice. Okay? Spiritual sacrifices. Prayer. Praises. Loving mercy. Doing justice. Loving others. Serving others. Things like that. In Christ, we have spiritual gifts that witness Christ. In Christ, whether, you know, to quote Martin Luther, whether you're the milkmaid or the plowboy, or you own the whole entire farm, it doesn't matter. In Christ, you get to be an agent of reconciliation. Okay? There's other language for this in theology. We call it the priesthood of all believers. Okay? We all get to do this. So what are we supposed to be doing? You have the grace 
you have the grace to go be yourself. And in that freedom, you go do holy, priestly things that you're called to do. And that's make, make disciples. And love God and love people. Bring God to the people, bring people to God. You look for ways to tell people about Jesus, to publish, to celebrate, divulge and reveal in the good news of Jesus. My good and beautiful God, this is who he is. Tell others about, about God, about the difference that he's made in your life. What's different about you? Why are you so kind? Why do you have joy? You can tell people, hey, I used to be nothing. I used to be a reject, but now I'm God's treasured possession. And you know what? You can't take that away. Go ahead and try. You can't take away what the world never gave. And then Peter, he's processing this in the context of community. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, he's thinking about this. In Peter's imagination, he sees the church. We are like living building blocks. We're being built together into the spiritual house to be what? A holy priesthood. Jesus is the cornerstone and everyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So first Peter, or excuse me, Peter then uh, draws upon the Exodus story here. We are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession that we may declare the praises of Jesus who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So, we are saved by God. Not by ourselves. We're saved by God and God alone. We are invited to become who God says we are. We share the task of serving God and showing and telling the world all about our God. And now, to tie some things up, how do we do this? It's obedience. We move in obedience. Once our identity is settled, we move in obedience. Now, to be clear, obedience is not a condition of salvation. Obedience is a condition of mission. You'll notice, for the Israelites, they had a conditional statement here. There, there's a big if in this passage. If Israel moves about in obedience, if they listen and follow and obey God, they will be for God a blessing. They will bless the nations. They will fulfill what God uh, said to Abraham, that, that you will be a blessing to all people. Yes, God wants to bless Israel. And we can't forget that blessing within the context of, of reaching all the nations of the world. Okay. It is through covenantal obedience. It's through communal holiness. This is how they fulfill this special identity and role that's being offered to them. So what about all this Segula talk? Okay. Well, in this covenantal relationship, God's like, yeah, if if you go on to follow Baal and Kamash and Moloch, if you if you want to look like Babylon and the Assyrians, if you want to look like Egypt, well, God has something to say about that. All right, God's not going to take back His salvation, 
Redemption is a, is a gift, and we need to be clear on that. They have already passed through the waters. They passed through the sea of reeds. The grace of salvation has already happened. Okay? God's not going to take that back. Salvation is not off the table. Okay? It's not even on the table. Excuse me. The grace of salvation is not even on the table. We are beyond that. They are in a relationship with God. And that comes with a big responsibility and a big job of representing God well. And so, yes, in this covenantal relationship, God is going to care about how they represent him and how they are being set apart. And so, to help them stay close to God, God's like, okay, I'm going to give you some commandments. We're going to start with 10. See how we do. These commandments, they prioritize our relationship with God and they conclude with how we guard our thoughts and our actions towards others. A discipleship coach named Mike Breen, he uses an example of a uh, baby safety walking harness. Have you ever seen one of these? A little baby, a little toddler is in a, it's like strapped in a harness and it's like they're kind of like on a leash. You know? There, there's, uh, there's freedom to move about, but they can't get too far. They're tethered to mom and dad. If we approach the Ten Commandments as an invite to stay close to God, if we approach from the starting point of, we are in covenant and we want to stay close to you, then the Ten Commandments look like a baby harness. The Ten Commandments are a good place to start on the mission of blessing the world. They'll learn what it means to be a society. They'll learn what it means to be a society within the world community. These Ten Commandments in this ancient world, what a gift. What a gift. However, if we approach the Ten Commandments as a stipulation of our identity, as a stipulation of our salvation, these Ten Commandments will look more like a straitjacket. We try to relate to God through obedience. If we don't start with covenant, but instead we start with, with, with obedience, and it's through obedience, this is how I relate to you. Well, that's going to feel more like a straitjacket. And as time went on, they placed obedience before identity. And by the time we get to the time of Jesus, there are so many extra rules and traditions, extra biblical traditions that they added on. It was such a mess. It was such a mess. To borrow from Mike Green, he says this, when we try to relate to God through obedience first, we will always be striving for his approval, immobilized by constant insecurity. We will be held away from God rather than to him. Our good works and best intentions can never be good enough to pave the way towards a holy God. And the struggle to obey, to obey will in itself lead to separation. Brothers and sisters, we have this, this invite, this grace. It, it is vital to relate to God first through knowing that we are his and that we belong to him. And then, because of who we are, in obedience, 
we move in missional holiness. And we go tell others all about Jesus. In obedience, we move. You get to obediently bring the gospel to the nations. You get to do church, be the church. You get to be a priestly ragamuffin. Proclaiming the gospel of God to the nations is part of your DNA. It's part of your mission. You get to invite people in to good news. Tell them about who you are in Christ, your joy. Why you operate the way you do. Why you see the world the way you do. Tell them about hope, healing, love. Belonging. This world is love deprived. It is lonely. There's good news that the gospel offers. So in obedience, we serve, we show up, we wash feet. And so, yes, like Israel, we are not immune to the forces of idolatry, works based religion. Some of you probably felt that this morning. You were thinking about what others were thinking. You were processing. You should probably do this. Probably should do that. You know, like, like it's all around us, right? We're not free from workspace religion. It impacts us every single day. We repent. We change in Christ. We can know God and everything we think we gain in the flesh. It's garbage compared to knowing and gaining Christ. We're not immune to the forces of, of loneliness and identity crisis and trying to figure out who we are. Come back to the cross. Come back to Jesus. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus. In Christ, we belong. We are beloved. We have a restored identity. We're not immune to the forces of rebellion, wanting to do our own thing. Or maybe it's the forces of indifference or apathy. Just not caring anymore. But in Christ, may we repent. May we obey. Not because we have to. But because we get to. And we have a holy mission. We have a holy purpose. And what's just amazing here as we end this sermon is, you know, Jesus perfectly represented Israel. He fulfilled the law. He completed it. He knocked it out of the park. In Christ, you don't need to earn being God's segula. In Christ, you receive that status. You believe that. Israel had a condition Hey, if you follow, if you listen, you'll be my treasured possession. For us, the gospel says, in Christ, you already are my treasured possession. And so may you continue to seek and know who God is and what God has done. May you continue to know and grow in your identity in Christ. May you continue to learn and envision what God has called you to do, church. Now, uh, in closing, the last thing here. The Ten Commandments, they didn't stop at ten. 
There's about 613 laws in the Old Testament. But thankfully, Jesus summarizes them like this in Matthew 22. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Christ's identity, obedience. Christ's identity, obedience. Let Christ be Christ. Become who Christ says you are. Stay close. Move in obedience towards the goal of loving God and loving people wherever you go. Let's pray.